0: Like last time, the format is going to be where Corey and I kind of run through the main points and everything that we think is important when it comes to each of these visit weekends. We'll probably end up touching on all 40 visitors um, throughout that part of the conversation. And then after that, we'll be taking um, all the questions that are in the chat and answering those. So Hopefully we cover everything thorough enough to the point where you guys don't have too many questions, but like last time, we, I think we answered questions for like 40 minutes or so. So um, we'll definitely get to all of the questions that you guys have regardless. So I guess uh, when it comes to the, the weekend as a whole, uh, I have used the word unprecedented before and kind of tired of using the same word over and over again, but that truly is what it is. Um, the numbers uh, for my article that I had stated were, Um, 42 official visitors. We have 29 that are four stars or higher. uh, 15 different states represented. And just this weekend, there are three five star prospects visiting all of them from outside of the Midwest. And um, those are kind of the overarching key takeaways there. But I guess Corey, when you just look at the weekend as a whole, what's the first thing that comes to your mind before we get into specific weekends individually?
1: Yeah, just the the amount of uh, top talent across the entire country that's represented on uh, the month of June that you're going to see on the these visits, whether it's a a five star from Texas or Georgia, Washington, um, maybe one from Massachusetts here soon. Um, but, and then just the number of four stars, I, I think, what is it? Almost 20 over 25 or something. Yeah. Stars.
0: 29, 29 so far that are public.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, and most of those kids too are out of region and it's not like guys that are just coming Uh Michigan States in the thick of it with a lot of these guys that are here too. So they, they definitely have uh this is a, probably one of the, maybe the biggest June in program history when it comes to recruiting just because what happens uh, based off of these official visits uh, is how like a good indicator where this program could be heading quit more even quicker than anticipated if they land some of the really big fish that they really want.
0: Right. Yeah. And I think um, you kind of mentioned there that like Michigan State's in the thick of it with all these guys. That's definitely true. And you can kind of look at the fact that every kid is limited to five official visits. So yeah, Michigan State might not be in the top one or two for every single one of the 42 kids, but nobody's taking a visit to Michigan State unless the school's making a big impact on them. And this is pretty concrete interest from a lot of these kids and with unofficial visits, yeah, that's those are telling because they have to spend their own money to come up here. But at the end of the day, they're limitless. But with official visits being limited to five, I think you can put a lot of stock in a kid's interest when it comes to official visits. So I guess right now we'll jump into the first weekend as a whole. I will just go ahead and read off the names of the 11 visitors, and then we can start diving into some of them. But in 24-7 sports composite ranking order, we have... David Hicks, defensive lineman from Katy, Texas, five-star, obviously. Vic Burley, another five-star defensive lineman. He is from Georgia. Madden Sanker, 82nd in the nation, so he's a top 104-star. Interior offensive lineman from Georgia. We have Jelani Thurman, a tight end from Georgia as well, but he has Jackson-Michigan ties. He's ranked 133rd in the nation. Chance Rucker from Denton-Ryan High School down in Texas. He's a a four-star And then Jalen Braxton, another four-star corner from Texas. So there's two four-star corners from Texas visiting. And then you have three-star offensive tackle, Sham Umaroff, who is a four-star according to 24-7 Sports. He's from Alpharetta, Georgia. And then we have Jonathan Slack currently committed, Bo Edmondson currently committed. And then Demetrius Bell, who does not have a composite rating. So that's why his name is last. But his 24-7 rating is an 88, which is a high three-star And he is one of only two wide receivers visiting Michigan State in June. So him to get an invite like that from the staff where they're very selective is pretty significant. So those are the official visitors. And then obviously there's the unofficial visitor, Jaden Wayne, who is spending multiple days here. So it's basically like an official visit. And he's coming all the way from Seattle. So, Corey, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you know
1: those are the kids that are attending? Uh, That the hiring... Hiring, uh, Brandon Jordan, uh, was a, it was a great decision. Just kind of like we said yeah. when, uh, before it happened when it happened and, and many times after. I mean, like, if you look at it, there's a lot of talented guys on the, on campus this weekend, but, uh, it's kind of hard pressed to find, uh, someone that can pull three five star defensive linemen on campus. Your first, uh, official visit weekend of your college coaching career at Michigan State. So, so yeah. I mean, that, that, to me, that, that really stands out. Then obviously you got, uh, the offensive line, uh, with Sanker and Umarov, who, uh, I know both of us think Umarov, we, we definitely agree more with his 24-7 ranking. Right. There's like something about that kid. You just see pictures of him. His hands are just huge. Uh, very athletic kid, strong. Like, I, I think he's one of those guys where you look at him now and you're like, oh, that's a good pickup. But then you see him in a couple years and he's dominating uh, at the college level. I think he's got that kind of potential. So you got yeah. the offensive line, Texas and Georgia all represented. Uh, yeah. It, it's a, it's impressive what, they, sure. what they've been able to accomplish on getting this many top plan a targets up on campus
0: yeah so they have three five-star defensive linemen obviously that speaks for itself in terms of how interested they are in them and then they have their number one interior offensive line target in madden saker their number one tight end target in jelani thurman and then one of the few corners they're willing to accept a commitment from at this time and chance rucker and one of the few offensive tackles they're willing to accept a commitment from at this time so it's safe to say that this is a huge weekend even though there's only 10 guys here on the weekend after this has about 14 or 15, this is a massive, massive weekend in its own regard.
1: Yeah. And I think too, Demetrius bell, the, the wide receiver out of Tennessee, uh, Stephen Brooks with us at Spartan tailgate. If you guys are members, uh, you can list, go check out his article. He just wrote, he talked to him at sound mind, sound body today. Uh, he was tiling him. He talks to Courtney Hawkins daily. Uh, Michigan State gloves, they're the only ones he wears uh, <laughs> and then Michigan State's really selective uh, at the wide receiver position in 2023 they're taking one definitely, possibly two wide receivers in the class uh, and I mean there's from the sounds of it, just kind of reading tea leaves, talking to people around like there's not, I yeah. wouldn't be surprised if Demetrius Bell is in the class at some point as that one wide receiver, possibly two in the class. For sure. I'm gonna dive into his tape this weekend and kind of give
0: a short, condensed takeaway on Twitter of what his game is all like and cut up some film. So if if Michigan State's interested in a receiver at this point to the point where they're letting him official visit, then that means they're very interested in him because they're extremely picky there after landing four wide receivers in the previous class and the portal being rich with receiver talent compared to other positions like offensive or defensive end. So moving on to the next weekend, which has the longest visitors list um, out of these four weekends and should grow by one more name uh, soon. And we're looking at, I guess I'll run through the names and this time I'll leave the locations out just to make it, A little shorter, but we're looking at four-star Caleb Presley. He's a top 100. Four-star Ryan Yates. He's a top 125. Four-star Enau Etta. He's a top 150 um, defensive end. And then we have Andrew DePape, who is obviously the ace recruiter and defensive lineman. Uh, He's a top 150. We have Jordan Hall, who's the Bradenton IMG Academy linebacker that everyone has come to know. He's taken three unofficial visits here. He's a top 200. Another linebacker, Jamal Anderson. He's a four star linebacker, top 247. Kedrick Reesanoa is back. Clay Whedon. So he's an offensive lineman that he's a four star. And in other years, everybody would be raving about how Michigan State has him on campus. And he's just been a name that's kind of gone under the radar because of how many good tackles there are. So he's a four star from Florida, top 300. Then there's King Mack, who is a Florida defensive back. He's a four star. Brendan Parachek, he's the tight end that has been committed to Michigan State for a while. So those are the composite four stars, and then we have Elijah Page, who's an offensive tackle who has a four star rating from twenty four seven Sports, and he has every offer you can think of. And then Jaden Bonsu, who's a safety from New Jersey, who also has every uh, offer you can think of. And Ohio State wants them pretty bad. And then you have Terrence Green, a defensive lineman from Texas, who's a top four hundred, even though he's three, he's a three star. And you have Colton Hood, who is a three-star that the Spartan staff really likes. So there's tons of four-stars here. I think nine, if I counted correctly, uh, ten, actually. And then an 11th, that's a twenty-four-seven four-star. And then the three-stars that in usual years would be some of Michigan State's higher commits. Corey, what do you think?
1: Uh, yeah, that's in- insane. Uh, I guess I'll, talk, I'll start at the, the bottom of the list, Colton Hood, where he's 674 in the country uh, for his ranking. But I think he's someone that's going to climb the rankings a lot. He's at a uh, McDonough, Georgia, Eagles Landing Christian Academy. Uh, the kid's arms and wingspan is insane. Uh, great coverage uh, ability. So I think he's going to be a guy that's going to rise in the rankings. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see him as a four-star by the time he hits campus, uh, wherever he ends up, uh, and then Terrence Green too, the, the big, t- uh, Texas defensive lineman, 6'5", 265, uh, top 400 kid, uh, I think he's somebody that's a better than his ranking, really strong kid. I, I remember I sent you a video of him one time where he had three, uh, linemen, or two linemen and a tight end target him on a block and all hit him from three different angles. And he kind of kept his footing on all of that and then ended up making the tackle, uh, right at the line of scrimmage. Uh, so really impressive player. And then, uh, obviously at the top of the list, uh, Caleb Presley, that's a guy. I'll let you talk on him just because yeah. Caleb Presley and Ryan Yates, those are two guys that you're really familiar with. And you covered the majority yeah. of their recruitments.
0: Yeah, so uh, Ryan Yates, I know he's been a name that the fans have been talking about quite a bit. Um, back in, uh, I want to say April now maybe, yeah, right around the spring game time, he was looking to commit at that time. But when Michigan State looks at their safety board, currently they're not kind of in a position where they can be accepting any commitments. And they have Jaden Bonsu, they have Elliot Washington, who's the Alabama commit, and all these guys are in a good shape with – So they just weren't ready to make any decisions at that time. And Ryan was ready to choose a school. So he chose LSU. Um, But he had said that his interest in Michigan State will remain and that he would take an official visit. And that is exactly what is happening here. And I guess now we will see where the Michigan State staff wants to take the interest from here. But that is uh, exactly what we thought would happen back when he committed to LSU. And that's exactly what is happening. And now uh, I guess we'll see where it goes from there. And then Caleb Presley, he's been a guy that Michigan State coaches have done a great job with for a while. And especially with his circle, his high school coach. I know, course, you've talked to him. And they have gotten their – his trainer, his high school coach, all those guys on campus. I believe he was here for the Michigan-Michigan State game in October. So that would have made a huge impression on him. And at the end of the day, that's a top 100 corner from uh, the the Pacific Northwest. I don't know if Michigan State has ever landed a kid of that caliber. And right now they're in a pretty good spot with him. I know Texas A&M is also circling there, as is USC and Oregon. But Michigan State has been in the forefront of his mind for a long time. There was never a question in his mind that he's going to take an OV here.
1: Yeah and then I guess that takes us to the 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 big duo of uh Andrew DePape the four-star Michigan State defensive end commit and then Enao Edda uh four-star Texas defense alignment uh this will be the third time that those two will have visited Michigan State at the same time uh Andrew's kind of taken Enao as his guy that he's really he's a great recruiter he's recruiting tons of the players that we talk about tonight in the class. But uh, Etta, he's kind of uh, taken like under his wing from the very beginning. They hit it off on the first visit they had together when Andrew ended up committing. So uh, having Etta up here, that's one of those plan A plus guys that uh, the staff and Pape have been trying to get forever up here. So I, I think uh, Michigan State sits well with him. He's a, another guy like DePape where, you look at you could put them outside you could slide them inside uh just kind of go with matchups pre-snap based off of what you're seeing from the offense uh which i I know you could probably talk on it because we've talked about it a lot along with steven how a lot of these uh defensive line recruits that they're going after this class they're in that 260 250 range already six five where you can move them all over the line so really makes you kind of wonder what we're going to see here in the future if Michigan State and Brandon Jordan and Marco Coleman land a lot of these guys they want just are you going to see a lot of guys that are similar size where you can just jump them all over the the defensive line pre-snap just based off of the matchups
0: right Yeah, I think you covered it well there, and I'll take the linebackers next. Jordan Hall, Jamal Anderson, both of these guys, um, they've been recruited by Scotty Hazleton and Ross Ells, and they're guys that Michigan State is in the top three with at worst. Uh, For Jordan Hall, I would say top two for sure. Uh, Notre Dame has been threatening recently. We'll see what happens there. But Jamal Anderson, uh, Utah is is where his father played, and they have a a good – kind of, they've piqued his interest a bit, but Michigan State, I think, has as good of a shot as anyone there. And uh, Michigan State should land a pretty good linebacker this class, maybe two. I don't know if they're looking to take three, but I think they've done a great job recruiting the linebacker position this year, especially compared to years in the past. And um, I guess I'll also touch on uh, King Mack here. He's a guy from Florida as well, and he plays at St. Thomas Aquinas in Fort Lauderdale, so one of the best schools down there in the South. And He's a guy that basically is down to Penn State and Michigan State uh, based on the update that I believe Andrew Ivins had on 24-7 sports on the Lane VIP message board. And I guess we'll see how much Michigan State wants to push there because, yes, he is a four-star, but once again, so is Ryan Yates and they have Jaden Bonsu on the board. They have Elliott Washington on the board. So um, it seems like Michigan State will end up with some good safeties here. Not sure which ones. Not sure which ones would be able to commit immediately. But that kind of gives you a little insight in why the staff is operating the way they are at the safety position.
1: Yeah, and then uh, I'll talk on King Mac just for a second, and then go to the committed players that are here uh, that weekend. Uh, uh, for me, I, I would take him because that guy has elite elite speed. Uh, I think he's like ten six two, ten six four, or something. Uh, so for me, as long as he comes in and he's at least five ten, five eleven, like. Like, I, I would push personally if I was the staff, but I'm not, obviously. But but that's my thing. I, I think you need to bring some elite speed like that in, and he definitely has that. But then switching over to the committed players, uh, you kind of forget about them just because they've been committed so long and how good they are. But Rossano, Ked Rossano out in Texas, and Brendan Parachek, both four stars. Uh, Rossano, he's, you know, uh, every down back he can carry it, he can run away from you, run you over, just great work ethic. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't look for any attention or anything. He just kind of goes about his work, does his job. And that's the same thing for Brendan Parachek out of Dexter, Michigan, where, you know, they don't, they're not out there on social media and posting a lot of stuff. So you almost forget about how good they are until you turn on the tape and you're just like, all right, these guys can play. Uh, So but having those guys there will be big with all of these top targets yeah. for the staff too because although they're not all rah-rah on, uh, social media, yeah. they are gonna be having those sit-down talks with those guys where you get kind of real with them and say, hey, this is, yeah. this is what we're doing, this is why I'm here, we want you here. So yeah. I think those two guys will be uh, some major recruiters for them that weekend. For sure. That's a that's a great point of Andrew DePape and
0: Kedrick Riseno and Brendan Percheck all being here together. That's just a lethal recruiting combination that Michigan State will be able to utilize that weekend, which is also the weekend where they have their most visitors. So definitely a very, very crucial angle and not not something that is just to be grazed over. Uh, now we have the weekend of June 17th. Uh, that's the weekend that me and the chief are talking about on the space that day. We're going to be in town and we're going to be making sure that the campus is up, up to par. all the energy's good and these recruits are kind of enjoying themselves. And we have Chase Basantis, by Joe Bay, uh, Miles McVeigh, Elliot Washington, Andrew Harris, Peyton Kirkland, Michael Harris as the four stars visiting. And we'll go over their positions when we go over them individually. And then we have Trevor Lauk and Frederick Moore as the three stars. And Frederick Moore is the second out of two um, wide receivers visiting this weekend. Corey, what's the first thing that comes to your mind here this weekend?
1: I think uh, just the the talent. Uh level again I mean you got Chase Basantis who I think uh what well, he's number 58 in the country Offensive yep. tackle out of Don Bosco prep in Ramsey New Jersey uh, I think he's better than fifty-eighth personally like if, if it was up to me I think he's like a, a plug and play day one ready offensive tackle you know you if he came to Michigan State there's a good chance he, he has a shot at starting as a freshman, and if he doesn't start, he's at least going to be in the, the tackle rotation as a freshman, I think. Yeah. Uh, and then Miles McVeigh and Peyton Kirkland are two of the biggest, most athletic dudes I think I've ever covered. Uh, you got McVeigh out of East St. Louis, Illinois, where he's 6'6", 8. I think he's I think he might be down to 335, 340. That's uh, <laughs> still yeah. pretty big, and Kirkland, 6'6", six, six, 345, just massive, massive mm-hmm. human beings that could play right tackle, or they could even slide inside it depending on what the rest of your uh, roster outlook lo- is looking like yeah. and where your needs are at. So, I mean, the the offensive line talent on campus on the 17th is absolutely insane and not something uh, Trevor Lauck, too, out of yeah. Indianapolis, I mean – Six six two eighty five Ohio State's after him pretty hard yeah. too. So I mean, he's another guy where he might not have the the four stars next to his name, but his offer list shows uh, the type of talent he is. So I mean, yeah. I think that that's what I take away. And the 17th is the uh, the offensive line talent that they have on the field. Yeah,
0: I think that's a great point about Lauk, and it's, it's a widely applicable point is even the ones that are visiting this weekend that are not four stars, like any other year, they would be getting tons of hype and tons of, tons of buzz. Like if someone like Trevor Lauk or somebody like, um, let's see, somebody like Sham Umarov or Elijah Page were visiting last year, and they'd be one of the highest-ranked recruits on the board. They would be getting all the buzz. So that's really what makes this weekend that imp- that much more impressive is even the lowest-ranked recruits in this class are in another tier of where Michigan State was kind of recruiting before. And now you're looking at – yeah, so back to this weekend, Elliot Washington, he's, uh, I guess, the first name that people would kind of ask for updates about as the weekend goes on. He's committed to Alabama somewhat, I suppose. He did put out that tweet where he was kind of saying that he's going to be openly looking at all his options, which we have known about since the day the spring game happened. So uh, that is a, a, as important of a recruit as you could kind of look at in terms of the buzz and headlines that it would generate. That's a Nick Saban defensive back recruit from the state of Florida that Michigan State could possibly land. Uh, Going forward. So he's a recruit that is could start as soon as Michigan State would need him to. He's from Venice, Florida, which is where Michigan State's Charles Brantley is from. And he has ties to uh, Nehemiah Warwick and Sardarian Adams and other former Spartans down there. And he's the recruit that my mind goes to. And then by Job um, from Norman, Oklahoma, he's a top 125 four star defensive end he's somebody that he wasn't even on the radar for the most part until about two weeks before we found out he was officially visiting. So Michigan State has guys that are just coming out of nowhere, essentially, that are top 125 prospects that would have been Michigan State's top commit in seven, eight years um, that are just coming out of nowhere and and being added to the visitors list. And he's kind of the quintessential example of that. And uh, Corey,
1: what else? Yeah, uh, and he's a freak athlete. Like, you turn on his tape, how quickly he moves and how violently he hits. Uh, like, that's a very impressive guy that, uh, hopefully Michigan State can get in the thick of it just because, uh, he's someone that I would like to kind of learn a little bit more about just because he is new, right. like you said. But I guess he transitioning from one freak athlete to, uh, a couple others, the, the Harris twins, Andrew and Michael Harris, the two four star, linebackers out of uh florida like those guys they're absolute freaks too yeah uh, you turn on the tape and you can kind of watch like if you put on andrew's tape you kind of will wander over to watch and see what michael does that time or vice versa or whatever but it was kind of funny because those guys are two of the quicker linebackers in the entire class and yeah. for them to be on the field on the, the same football field to try and watch the uh, opponents run to the edges on either edge. It's like, it, they can't do it because the Harris twins are just too fast <laughs> to allow that to happen. So you run one way and Andrew's blowing the play up in the backfield. You run the other way. Michael is. Right. Uh, when you pat, go out back and pass, they, uh, have pretty good coverage skills for a linebacker. They utilize that speed. Uh, yeah. but those two are absolutely studs at linebacker. Uh, yeah, Wherever they get that's that's someone's getting a pair of really good linebackers.
0: Yeah, that's a good point that all the linebackers on Michigan State's recruiting board seem to share is all of these guys are very athletic and fluid in coverage. And uh, that's what you need in the modern era. You got to cover athletic tight ends. You got to cover running backs out of the flat. So definitely great to see. And then one thing about by job that I should add is he is bringing with him, obviously the school cannot pay for those guys' trips, so it kind of shows their interest as well, but he is bringing with him three Oklahoma area recruits, and one of them is a five-star in 2024 whose name is David Stone, and David Stone is basically next year's David Hicks. He is... One of the best defensive linemen in the nation. I believe he is the number one defensive lineman according to the 24/7 Composite. And he's from the South. He's going to be playing at IMG next year, I believe, but he's originally from Oklahoma. So next year's David Hicks, essentially to simplify things, is visiting with By Job this uh, on the weekend of the June 17th. Um, I guess uh, for the, anybody else visiting that weekend, yeah, I guess you touched on Peyton Kirkland and Miles McVeigh. And Trevor Lauk, Frederick Moore. Yeah, so huge weekend. And uh, I agree. I think Chase Basantis is is the offensive tackle I would pick if you asked me who is most likely to start immediately. I think Samson Okolola is in that same conversation as well. But playing in, in the competition that Chase Basantes plays in, that's just kind of what breaks the tie for me of maybe who would be most ready. But yeah, Basantes and Okanlola are just in a different tier. And I think Basantes is safely the headliner, that weekend so far. So, moving on to the final weekend in June, uh running through the names here, we have Tamari and Parker, four star top 100, Omori Washington, four star top 150, four star corner Dalen Austin who is a top 150, Kaden McDonald, top 247, Joe Crocker, three star top 500, and then current commit Eddie Pleasant. And then, no composite rating, but he just got his 24-7 rating, and that is Bryce Pollock, uh, who's an 89-rated three-star corner from Georgia, and he's a top 40 cornerback. So, Corey, this weekend, what do you see?
1: Uh, the ta- talent at defensive line, again, uh, a common theme here, Uh Tamari and Parker out of Alabama, uh, again, you know, 6'4", 255, 260 pound, uh, lineman that's gonna come in. He can play inside, he can play outside, pass rush, uh, uh, defend the run. Uh, Amari Washington is a monster, 6'4", 295. I think he's even bigger than that. He's just one of those guys that look bigger, naturally. Uh, yeah. he's probably more of a natural, uh, Interior guy, but you could easily slide him outside because he's got the athleticism to go play some strong side, put him on the edges. Uh, Caden McDonald, that's a name that I I don't know if there was a a more popular name early in the 2023 recruiting class. Uh, he had really strong connections with Ron Burton. He was at the Peach Bowl, all of that stuff. Uh, he kind of disappeared a little bit, I think. with the coaching changes to Brandon Jordan, Marco Coleman, but those guys have kind of reached out to him and he's kind of liking what he's hearing from them. Right, uh, And uh, now you've got him back up here on campus again. And if the weekend goes great for him, then he's somebody that could sneakily find his way back into this class where maybe you kind of forgot about him for a minute, yeah. but uh, he's probably the one guy that's like a, a natural defense tackle like he's the one guy where I don't see him popping outside to the edges or whatever but right he's a guy that would completely shut down the run game down the middle and give you some good pass rush cuz he is a really athletic uh defensive yeah. tackle
0: yeah, and then um, with Amari Washington, he actually is originally from Oak Park, Michigan. I think he moved down to Arizona two years ago, so that's an angle to keep in mind with him. And then Tamarian Parker, he is from Alabama, and I remember earlier in the cycle, a lot of buzz was being made about Georgia having momentum with him, and people were saying, "Is Kirby Smart really going to go into Alabama and pull someone out of Nick Saban's backyard?" And even that was kind of raising some eyebrows. So just think about if Mel Tucker all the way up here in Michigan State could somehow land him. Just kind of in, add some intrigue to the possible, the possible kind of fallout, um, the implications there. Dalen Austin is the corner that I want to highlight from this weekend. He is from Long Beach, Polly, in Long Beach, California, obviously. That's a top 150 corner from California that we're talking about here. He's currently committed to LSU, but even the, when he committed, he basically said in a statement, um, that he's committing, but taking visits. So that's, uh, a recent commitment. It's, it's kind of a commitment that he left open ended to begin with. And he is someone that. Uh, has been raving about Mel Tucker for the longest time. He had been saying since the winter to me that he was going to take an official visit to Michigan State. And uh, the last six months, the interest and contact has been consistent, and that is exactly what has happened here. He's going to be a tough battle because USC wants him, other people want him. But that is one of the biggest names for me in all of June, personally. And then Joe Crocker is, again, another guy where other cycles would have been really appreciated. He's a top 500 offensive tackle. That's 6'6", 3'10", from Tennessee. And he's a guy that is going to be um, interesting to see, like, who else commits and maybe whether or not he could commit right away or not. But just having that as an option and maybe him possibly not being able to commit right away just speaks volumes of where the offensive line recruiting board currently sits. And Bryce Pollack, kind of new on the scene, we found out he is the nephew of James Kirkland, who is a staffer on the Michigan State recruiting side of things. Uh, So we'll see how hard Michigan State pushes there. But again, he just got his rating. He's an 89-rated three-star, which is the highest you can be. And he is also from the great state of Georgia. Anything else you want to highlight from this weekend, Corey?
1: Uh, We'll just uh, uh, have Eddie Pleasant there, the Michigan State commit out of Tampa. Uh, I think he's a good one. He's a really outgoing, personable guy. I think he'll be a a strong recruiter for uh, the guys that are on campus that weekend. and uh, Definitely uh, one of my favorite guys to cover just because of uh, how good of answers he gives you and just uh, his personality.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think... um... He he's one of those guys that like on Twitter and stuff, he doesn't say a lot, but he just has a, a big personality and people are going to really gravitate towards him on the visit weekend. Really nice kid for sure. Um, so I guess now, unless there are any other overall thoughts you want to take, we can kind of start diving into some of the questions here.
1: Yeah, if that works.
0: Sounds good. Yeah. Um... What are the chances that a five-star commits immediately after an OV? Josh is asking. Thanks for the question. Um, I guess maybe it has happened before, but in terms of the guys that Michigan State are recruiting, I would not expect any of these guys to just commit on that official visit, not take the rest of their OVs and kind of not consult with their inner circle and trainers. And none of them have any reason to worry about them losing their spot. So five-stars typically just don't ever feel the need to do that. And especially with Hicks and these guys that could start as freshmen pretty much on any defensive line, I don't think there would be any reason for them to not at least take their time and take a month or so at the least.
1: I I agree with that. They all have uh, the – visits plan to go other places and there'd be no reason to for them not to take those. So I I wouldn't say that I would expect anyone to commit a five-star to commit right on the weekend.
0: Right. Uh, The next question from Jason. Thanks for the question. He's asking how many four and five stars end up committing to MSU for this recruiting cycle. So I believe the Michigan state record. um, I want to say from the 2016 class was, I think they landed 11 four stars. And since I'm not really big on predicting specific numbers or percentages, the way that I would predict it is I think they land more four stars and five stars than the 2016 class. So I would say they land at least 12. Corey, any way you want to answer that?
1: Yeah, I agree. I think they'll go over the the previous mark of 11, uh, maybe add some five stars in to get over it. But, uh, yeah, I definitely think they – they probably get over eleven is a pretty safe bet,
0: right? Um, Jason is also asking which is the most important recruit this cycle. All,
1: um, my answer all of them. is yeah, go ahead. All of them. <laughs> like, like, you can't yeah. you can't say one guy is just because yeah one guy's not going to win you a championship. So right, you, you just got to fill your classes up full with a lot of talent.
0: Yeah, my answer in general for these kind of questions are. Um, if, just think about which positions are kind of the hardest to make up for if you don't have strong high school recruiting and which positions you maybe can find in the portal a little easier. And then I would just tailor the answer to those positions. So you're looking at offensive tackle, defensive end, uh, some of those positions. So um, obviously there are exceptions. If you have a generational player at one of the other <clears throat> positions, they could be an answer too. But yeah, I would just think of, think of it in that frame of mind. The next question, what chances do you give for Hicks to commit to MSU? Um, Percentages and individual players, that's not something I really do, but I would say in general, I think a lot has been made of the Texas A&M, NIL thing. And they do have uh, unreal resources there, but not every kid is going to just commit based on who's bidding the most money and some kids will value NFL development and what Brandon Jordan can bring. So I would just say that I think the chances are higher than what some people are saying they are just because I don't think it's going to be a decision based just on NIL. And yeah, I don't know about a percent, but I think that that is something that I think is important to mention about the NIL dynamic versus Brandon Jordan.
1: Yeah. And I I agree. I think Michigan State's got to, a a shot with him uh they're they're in that discussion to get him for sure and while michigan state might not be in the position to outbid texas a&m for an entire class they can probably uh pull pull some things to get two or three of those premium guys in a class with what funds they could raise
0: so i'd say he's the
1: he's the five star that I've always kind of felt Michigan State had a better shot than maybe they're getting credit for just because of the uh, relationship that him and his dad have with Brandon Jordan, where he trained with him twice a week before Brandon uh, took the job up here at Michigan State. So they have a lot of trust in him and know that they will, that he'll get developed here and be ready for the NFL. Yeah, definitely.
0: Definitely. Um, Justin is asking, is Demetrius Bell in commit watch for this weekend? I think we're his only OV listed. Uh, Thanks for the question, Justin. Um, I think uh, Michigan State, it depends on what they view uh, the board as when it compares to Frederick Moore versus Demetrius Bell. But I think when you look at the fact that they only have two of them visiting, I'm sure that it's a situation where they will most likely take whoever the first to commit is. But um, that's a commitment we haven't had the greatest pulse of. He does not talk to individual team reporters. Uh, Steve Wiltfong was, uh, was savvy enough to get the visit confirmed for us. But I would be curious to see if he adds any official visits from this point on. If he doesn't, then I think that that is a reasonable line of thinking. Uh, but that's uh, just to be honest, I don't think I have the best feel for what he's thinking as he's not a recruit that shares any of his details. Corey? Okay. Let's, let, let's yeah. hit the
1: unmute. But yeah, uh, <laughs> Stephen and I uh, were talking about him today because I knew he yeah. was at the camp, uh, and had him there. And I said, and I kind of felt the same as you. Like I'm like, I feel like he's a guy that could definitely commit, but you feel uneasy just because he's not a guy that gives you a whole lot. Even when he does talk, it's kind of short answers. Uh, but, So I I kind of – I think he could be on commit watch, but it's not one of those situations where you feel good about it because you know what both sides are at on it. Right,
0: definitely. Yeah, that's – I think we'll find out more here soon after these kids get halfway into June and and what their plans are and things of that nature. Um, Then the next question we have here from brad which tackle prospects can best slide down to guard thanks for the question brad um the two names that kind of come to my mind are miles mcveigh and peyton kirkland just because they kind of have the most mass right now but in general my answer would just be like it's not very hard for an offensive tackle to move down to guard uh the real difficulty is going the other way and not everyone has the foot speed um and the wingspan to play tackle but i think for the most part uh, you don't need to worry about Michigan State not having bodies to play guard uh, if they land even a lot of these offensive tackle prospects and no more IOLs. Corey?
1: Uh, yeah, I agree with what you said. Those guys are definitely the, the two most common, but yeah. any of them could go inside. Uh, if you can yeah. play tackle, you can play guard. Uh, that That's kind of where I, I think, I guess what I will go off of it, shoot off of that is where we kind of saw the difference was the previous coaching staff they may be kind of recruited guards and tried to force yeah. them outside where uh, this one, this pr- current staff is going to be more likely to uh, recruit tackles and then just let it figure itself out and slide the guys inside that need to go inside. And once you have a uh, adequate tackles,
0: Definitely. Yeah, that's uh, well said. Then the next question is, are Parker and Washington viewed as defensive tackles? Thanks for the question, Kyle. That's kind of the the interesting element that all of these Michigan State defensive line recruits, except by Joe, basically have where they're in that in-between weight and that in-between frame where the staff can either tell them to gain 15 pounds and become defensive tackles or lose 15 pounds and become defensive ends. And um, I haven't heard a word about a 3-4 defense, so don't take this and start running with it as a possibility. But, like, I think they, those guys kind of have their prototypical 3-4 defensive end kind of build where they're kind of between defensive tackle and defensive end in a 4-3, but they're perfect 3-4 defensive ends. But, again, I don't, I've not heard a single indication that that's a switch they're trying to make. But that's just kind of how I define them and, and their measurables. So I think for all of them, you kind of are, are in that fluid state. But I think Amari Washington is probably better suited to play defensive line. Yeah, I just looked it up. He's already two ninety five, so I would say definitely he's defensive tackle. But my answer, I guess, is more applicable for everybody else on the board. And yeah, great.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think Washington's probably most likely interior. Right, uh, where the other guy can go inside outside, like yeah, a lot of the guys there. Yep. Yeah, and the kind of a. A lot like Enau, Etta, Andrew DePape, where they're just uh, all-around great defensive linemen that do everything good, pass rush against the run, everything. So, yeah, yeah, very versatile defensive line uh, targets for Michigan State in this class.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, Then we have the next question here from Brad. He said, how fast is Nick Marsh in 2024 class? Uh, That's a good question, and that's a question that I would like an answer to. I'm going to go see... Uh, Marsh play this upcoming season. I'm going to go see him camp uh, at Michigan State, assuming he comes up here in June, uh, because he basically has every other tool you could want out of a receiver. And I'm assuming the speed is not much of a weakness, given where he is ranked, and Michigan State likes him quite a bit. So I don't have any worries in that regard, but that is the one thing that I also would be looking to see here in these next few months. So that's a good question, and that is a good name to know. Um, the next question here from Kyle. He said, "How many new commitments will we leave the month of June with?" Um, I guess Corey, do you have an answer for this one? Because <laughs> you kind of know, you kind of know how I approach
1: these questions. Yeah, I, I have no idea. Um, it, yeah. it, it all depends. I mean, there's so many variables because uh, you're. Yeah, you I think like not only are you having the guys come up on the visits, but they're going other places. Right, and then there's going to be some time that you. Think about it. So yeah, there's definitely going to be guys that immediately commit the weekend. There's going to be guys that might have one more visit or two more visits, and they're like, "Yeah, this is where I want to be," and they make that decision. Yeah. But this is something that's going to evolve from these visits, whether that's on uh, June 5th or whether it's July 31st. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is the this month is going to. Decide a lot of the things for these guys, but they're not necessarily going to decide right away all of them. So it's yeah. impossible to really guess how many will be in June. Yeah. But I, will, I'll, yeah. I'll say by uh, the start of the football season, the class will be mostly full, I would guess.
0: Okay. Okay. That's interesting. Okay. Um, so I would just say at the general point of this year. Patience is going to be required at a higher degree than previous years because Michigan State is now recruiting at a, at a higher talent level where a lot of these kids don't feel as pressured to commit as soon. And you have kids that are no longer in a situation where Michigan State is by far their best offer and suddenly you're just reeling the commits, and the second they visit to confirm their previous interest. Now you have kids that are are torn between three schools of high stature, and it takes a lot of work to close these recruitments out. And just in general, when you're recruiting higher ranked kids, they feel less pressure to commit sooner. Like I said, yeah.
1: you, so get, we'll, you get you a lot of got a lot of guys too with already announced uh july commitment dates that's July. whether it's jordan hall peyton kirkland a few other guys so i mean yeah. uh i guess june is hard to say but i'll stick with my answer before the yeah. football season i think you'll see at least three-fourths of the class full
0: yeah yeah I think, as the, I think the goal
1: <laughs> Yeah,
0: yeah, I think I think June is going to be very, very light, but I think you raise a good point that there are some people that are going to sit back in July and think about how their previous month has gone and maybe come to a
1: decision in July. Yeah, and then you get some guys um, that they'll yeah. make that decision uh, because I know a lot of guys want to be done with it before their senior season, just so they don't have to worry about recruitment. They can just play ball for their last year with their high school teammates. But <laughs> also, when you put – are recruiting these uh, – higher end guys, the Alabamas, the Georgias, and all that aren't just gonna disappear. So right. these are guys that you gotta gotta stay yeah. on them until until they sign. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's definitely gonna be a more dramatic recruiting cycle through December this year than any other years past and should definitely be a lot of fun. Um, let's see the next question. Brad is asking if Thurman doesn't go green, who is the next most likely tight end prospect? Um, so Michigan State offered a new tight end prospect recently in George Burhan, who is uh from Mountain Vernon, Indiana. I think he's a guy that could be up in that next uh in the next group of options. You're looking at Jackson Carver, who Michigan State offered two months ago, I wanna say. And um they're always evaluating, and I'm sure they could uh find a new target as well. But the way I kind of look at it is twenty twenty four. They're, they will have quite a few good tight end options based on who they've already offered, uh, some of the guys that I really like. And then the state of Michigan has two big-time tight ends in Dylan Messman and Brady Price And they just took two tight ends last class, so honestly, I would be okay with them just taking one tight end and Brendan Parachek and calling it a day, but I still gave you some names of who they could turn to if they feel the need to. Corey, anything to add?
1: Uh, yeah, I I think one would be fine unless you get a guy that can't miss, which I think right. Jelani Thurman in that category. For uh, sure. So, but yeah, and then maybe Chico Hole out of Houston, Texas. Maybe he That's comes true. up for a visit or something. But, but yeah, I mean, I I kind of look at that as like a outside of Thurman. I don't think there's a huge huge need to bring in a second one just because uh. Uh, you brought into last year that I think will both be good ones here. You're starting to actually build depth at that position and yeah. you're getting ahead. Like you said, the two in state guys, there's a couple more out of Ohio and Indiana. So I mean, yeah. the tight end talent is there and Michigan State is in a good spot so they can get selective.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh, Then the next question here is from Brad asking, do you see a scenario where Cap doesn't get four or five of his top guys? Uh, The answer is most likely just no. Uh, They just have too many guys uh, that have visited in the spring that are not visiting in June where like, even if you guys that look at the rankings don't see like Elijah page and how much the staff wants him. And you might not say that that's a top option, but like coach Cap would be happy if he could land Elijah page the, the second he stepped on campus. So like the, the definition of like a top option, I guess could be skewed if you're kind of just looking at it as Okalola and um, Basantis and everybody else is a tier below. Like uh, that's not really how you should that. Like it. you should look at it as who has Michigan state landed in the past? How good are these guys and when can they play? And pretty much everybody visiting in June at offensive tackle is somebody that coach cap would happily accept a commitment from maybe some sooner than others. But these are guys that I think he can land four of. Corey.
1: Yeah. I think he lands, uh, at, whether he takes five or six in the 2023 class on the offensive line, I, I would expect all of those guys to be uh plan. A's that took official visits in this June. And then maybe, uh, You could also throw in Cole Dellinger, who's taken his official in the fall when his dad is uh, back. Uh, So, I mean, like, I I don't see a scenario that he doesn't get the five or six uh, offensive linemen that he had in his plan A.
0: Yeah. Uh, Brad is also asking how many more cornerbacks do you think they'd take? I would think two more. Uh, They have that Pleasant. And I think that they could take two more. I think cornerback is a position where you could um, maybe take one extra and take one less safety. But I guess those numbers will kind of figure themselves out as we get towards October, November, December.
1: But I would guess two more, Corey. Right? Yeah, and Mel, Mel always loves him a defensive back. So, so yeah. the, the, the number is unlimited for him, That's the, yeah, especially that's with that new NCAA rule where you can sign over. Uh, yeah, so, so I mean, it could be ten corners and uh, <laughs> six safeties in this class if Mel gets his way. But, but uh, yeah. yeah, but there'll be a, probably I'd guess yeah. probably.
0: Yeah, uh, who's the best prospect for the nickel position? Also, Brad, thanks for the questions. Uh, so the as we were kind of saying in the previous Spotify room and, and in the articles of the past. The nickel position is now essentially just a regular cover corner position, and that's why Darius Snow was moved to linebacker this offseason. season. So that is to kind of undo the um, gaps in some of the pass coverage last year. Now they're playing an NFL-style nickel defense. Uh, so yeah, I guess I guess this question can still be answered because you want your cover corner that plays nickel to be one of your better tacklers, just because they're closer to the trenches. So, really, I would reword your question as maybe who's the most physical and best tackling uh, cornerback out of the bunch. And in that regard, I've been really impressed by Eddie Pleasant. Um, I think Dalen Austin is also pretty physical. But, like, Eddie Pleasant loves hitting. He kind of loves hitting like Charles Brantley loved hitting. Uh, but also he has the mass to kind of uh, be willing to play that reckless and things of that nature where as Charles Brantley's tape, you were kind of worried he'd hurt himself playing like that at 160. But yeah, I, I think I really like what Michigan State has in Eddie Pleasant much more than his ranking. And he's a guy that I've been raving about since before he even committed. And I would definitely say that it's worth your time to watch his highlight tape. See what he does with his explosiveness on the punt returns. You can see his burst in that regard and then see how he breaks on the ball and and, and hits people. Corey?
1: Uh, Yeah, I think Eddie Pleasant would be a good one uh, if they landed Elliott Washington. He's a guy that could probably do both. Uh, He's a big physical safety, too, that can cover well. So uh, those guys, but, I mean, honestly, I think at this point, uh, with the type of defensive backs they're targeting, they can pop a lot of guys there just because they're – pretty good uh, sure tacklers bigger guys long arms all that stuff so but those two would be my most likely guesses yeah
0: Mm -hmm. Um, let's see the next question here Um, Jojo is asking a player like by Joe would need to put on a ton of weight to play defensive end would they take him as a project defensive end or could he project as a linebacker too I don't think they're looking at him as a linebacker. Uh, I would say that it's definitely going to be him coming in as a 6'4", 215 defensive end and hopefully being 225 by the time he enrolls and has this entire season left and then maybe get up to 240 by the time he sees the field. Uh, But he's just such a quick twitch guy. And I think that, yes, you don't want to get into the habit of all your defensive ends needing to put on a lot of weight, but he's a guy that has elite traits and there's kind of a reason that he's ranked where he is despite the low playing weight. And I think that I would not personally have any concerns of him developing into someone that can play at uh, the defensive end position.
1: Yeah. And I mean, those numbers too, like we'd like to pretend that they're up to date, but the the chances that he's still 215 probably isn't even accurate. He's probably, 225, 230 by now because uh, these guys are constantly growing and getting bigger uh, just huge long wingspan on him too so, but I mean if you look at a lot of the the top defensive ends, a lot of those guys are in that range, so it's not, not really necessarily something crazy it's just maybe more points to the fact that we spoke about earlier about just how big some of the defensive linemen they are targeting is yeah so a guy like him sticks out where before you looked at chase Carter and uh Zion Young and uh some of the other guys that they've brought in that they were kind of in that uh two twenty range two fifteen <laughs> range yeah when when they committed to so it's not not outside the norm it's just uh kind of highlights what we talked about with the bigger defense linemen.
0: Yeah, and if you look at the top 14 people that are listed as edge on 24-7 sports, the number 14, the number 13, the number 12, 11, 10, 8, 6, 5, and 4 players are all 225 or less. So that definitely does not seem to be going against the trend too much. I do agree that 230 is probably where you'd like them to be at this point, maybe 240, but like Corey said, Um, that could be a number from the beginning of last season. And all in all though, I don't think that is that much of a concern. Uh, John is asking, um, I've heard you say before that getting the last OV from a player is crucial. Should we be concerned that we're getting, um, earlier official visits? Um, so really getting the last OV is crucial if the kid has already chosen like four of his OV spots and you're fighting to secure the last OV. So, like, you don't want to be the school that's sixth and the kid can take five OVs. In terms of just if it's better to be first or last, I would say that when you're recruiting kids that are not deciding immediately, which most of the recruiting board is for Michigan State, at that point, it doesn't necessarily matter. For the kids that are committing in July... There, I suppose, you could kind of make your arguments for each play, whether you want to get out to an early lead, whether you want to have the last crack. But for a kid that's committing in the fall, you essentially want to have as good of an impression as possible that they return for a game in the fall before committing. Corey? Um,
1: yeah, I, I think, too, it, it depends on guys' uh, decision timelines, too. Like if, if it's a guy that can be swayed on a visit, but they wanted to take them all, then yeah, that helps. But if the guy's got a planned announcement in July or August or whatever, or he's truly going to sit down and focus in on what he saw, then I, I think it doesn't matter as much. Uh, especially when you're in on these higher level guys that are going to be taking all their visits. There's yeah. not, there's not as many guys that. Like that are just ready to commit before they lose their spot because these guys are guys that don't lose their spots.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, The next question here is
1: Alex asked,
0: what do we think of the joint commitment announcement? Peyton Kirkland tweeted out with Malik Bryant. Um, Those guys, they're good friends, and they probably think that the recruitments are about at the same spot where they can get to a decision in July. Uh, I don't think there's any correlation of them going to the same school there. Um, Then Brad is asking, when will we hear about a punter? Uh, That's a good question. They do need a punter after this season. Uh, Bryce Beringer is actually the number one punter, according to Mel Kuyper's early, early 2023 um, board of kickers and punters. So that's going to be a good season for him. But yeah, after that, uh, Michigan State will probably uh, have several candidates on campus in the middle of June when they have their specialist camp. I don't recall the date of that, but I think it's here in the next 14 days or so. So we'll see which kids from around the nation come over there to try to secure a scholarship. But punter recruiting is something that you don't see happen uh, too far in advance. You kind of want to get towards the kids' senior season. And there's not that many kids that go D1 on scholarship at punter. So they're not behind or anything like that. But I would say that yes, that is something to pay attention to, and I would be curious how things progress after the specialist camp this month.
1: Anything to add, Corey? Uh, yeah, with the the punters and kickers stuff like that, they they keep a lot of that stuff pretty quiet until until they get pretty close to uh, being at the top or securing a commitment. Then then things kind of come out. That's just kind of how it works because. Those guys, uh, aren't on um, getting the scholarship offers as quick and then say, if you offer a punter too early, then all of a sudden Alabama is like, oh, well, we got to offer them and then you kind of lose your thing. So a lot of, a lot of the specialists, it's kind of a, a, a wild, uh, background thing. So we, we report on it when it's time to report on them, but yeah. it'll be interesting to see if they go high school or, uh, australia though that, that'll that be yeah intriguing.
0: yeah uh definitely and you do make a good point of they try to keep punter recruitments and kicker recruitments under wraps because uh that's where yeah you kind of don't want a lot of schools just finding out about a punter or kicker just because you offered him uh let's see the next question we have here are um greg w is asking any chance dante moore takes an ov here i would say the answer to that is no michigan state kind of read the writing on the wall when they took Bo, and uh dante is now i guess considering oregon lsu and notre dame at some at one point it was mostly notre dame and then i believe lsu got some momentum and now he's looking out west as well And, yeah, that's the recruitment that Michigan State kind of figured was going the way of of out-of-state, and they took their other prospect that was a plan A prospect, a quarterback, and didn't waste any more time there. Corey, anything to add
1: on Dante Moore? Uh, Yeah, no, he's not. I would be very, very surprised uh, if he was here. There's no need for it and what he's looking for and what Michigan State needs uh, in the 23 class, isn't it? a match and at this point, anyways, anyways. So if if they're gonna use their big, big NIL deals, that needs to be uh, and uh, defensive or offensive linemen in this class. You already got Kate and Hauser uh, last year, so he, he he's in a different spot. Michigan State's in a different spot, so yeah. I would not foresee him coming on an official visit. Yeah.
0: The next question we have here is uh, James is asking which. GN prospects do see slide into defensive tackle. Uh, Yeah, we kind of touched on that. Uh, Most of them can uh, play defensive tackle, but uh, it just depends on what plan the staff has in place for their weight and what they want to project them as when they enroll. But, yeah, I guess Omori Washington and Kaden McDonald are basically the two guys that are for sure defensive tackles. After that, a lot of guys that are 265, 270, 250, that could trend in either direction upon enrolling. Um, Tuckstang is asking, do you think any OVs will take place in July or August? Um, I think the final week of July um, if the recruiting calendar is the same as last year, I'm pulling it up right now. Yeah, so the last week of July they can host um, visitors once again, but August is a dead period, so no official visits are allowed in August. So yeah, last week of July possibly, but after that no, that is not the case. Um... Let's see. Ben is asking, what is the chance of MSU picking up a commitment from a five-star this cycle? I think uh, that just comes down to where things go with the two five-stars that have not visited yet so far. That's Vic Burley and Jaden Wayne. And we kind of know where Michigan State sits with DJ Hicks. And that's going to kind of come down to Brandon Jordan versus the Texas schools and their resources. And then Samson Okolola, uh, Michigan State, I would say, is in his top three-ish or so. So it's hard to answer that question until we know who the realistic candidates are out of the five stars, and that would happen after we know more about Jaden Wayne and Vic Burley's visits to Michigan State. Corey, are you willing to go any go any more concrete with your prediction there? I'm in the wait-and-see mode for now.
1: Yeah, yeah that's definitely wait-and-see. I'd say that they're, and they've are and positioned themselves well enough that I wouldn't be surprised if they were to land one, but obviously that's no concrete thing that for sure (laughs) putting in stone. But, but I think, I think they've done well enough with uh, the guys that you're seeing coming on campus this uh, June to, to possibly get one or two.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think I wrote, I wrote that article predicting that Michigan State would land a five star this class. And I think, because of that, uh, which I still believe, I think I will say that there's like a 55% chance. But it really just depends on on Burley and Wade and how realistic of targets they've become after this weekend. But yeah, I think landing one of Hicks or Okalola is, is feasible. It's just not something you want to bank on. So I'd be more comfortable if the other two guys are also as interested in Michigan State as the first two guys. Yeah. Um, Chris is asking, or actually Brad is asking, we are assuming there's some sort of NIL announcement coming sometime. Any idea on the timeline? Uh, the, that is that is not something that um, has really any sort of concrete intel behind it to the point where we can speak on or know of a timeline. Uh, so really, I, I guess that's the first question where I will say that we actually do not have an answer for you. But um, – yeah, so that's that's all I will say there. Uh, Chris is asking chances of Ruben Owens taking an OV. If anything picked up with him, would that affect the Kedrick-Risano commitment? I think just answering the first part, I think the chances of him taking an OV to MSU are kind of low. It's basically between Georgia and MSU for the fifth visit, and he said he's not sure he's even taking a fifth. Um, so even if he does visit, I don't think the chances of MSU landing him are that high, so – that's just kind of where I'd end that question before even getting to Kedrick. Um, Corey, anything you want to add there about Ruben?
1: Yeah, I I, I wouldn't expect it. And, honestly, I don't think there's a, a real point for it. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, like, if, if you could get a great player, you get a great player. So I'm not dismissing his talents. But, I mean, you already have uh, Ked in the class. You, I, I think anybody that's followed Michigan State has saw how easily you can get an impact running back in the portal. Yeah. Or, if you guys transferred out and you also said it needed a body yep. for depth or whatever, so i mean to to me uh I, that's not a spot that you really need to go at let let Ked be Ked here at Michigan State, let Reuben be Reuben wherever he's at, and see get back and see who has the better college career in a couple of years, yeah. Um, the
0: next question here, Kyle is asking, what players are likely to ov in the fall that aren't on the June list?
1: I'm um, saying that a lot of that is, it, is based on what happens in June and the yeah. summer. Honestly, I mean we we know about De- Dellinger, uh, yeah, with with his thing. But I mean, yeah, even his then, his father's
0: overseas, I believe. He he, even then, the if, he, if
1: Michigan State fills up with guys this summer, then. Yeah. maybe that that doesn't even happen but i mean you just you don't it's too hard to say because like you said there's 40 something guys taking official visits in june so i guess you kind of the best answer i could come up with is uh let's see where the dust settles in yeah august and we'll go from there for the fall
0: yeah i agree yeah you don't know which positions they'll have needs at and which prospects are uncommitted and that's uh that's basically the gist of but, it. There. But yeah, there's pre- there's um, some guys obviously yeah.
1: that they they could For pull sure. up if they wanted to that they know aren't deciding until yeah. late. But yeah, especially but, an offensive
0: it's, tackle, offensive
1: line. Yeah, it's just so yeah. hard to s- say without knowing what the class looks like by yeah August or September.
0: Yeah, uh, Matt is asking: With Dante Moore out, are we looking at any more quarterbacks? Or is Bo Edmondson it? Does this speak more to what the staff thinks of Hauser? Uh, no, Bo Edmondson is it. I don't think there's any wavering from the staff at all of him not being someone that they fully trust. Um, I guess maybe if you're looking at his ranking, then I guess possibly you might not be convinced, but uh, I would just say that he is ranked higher than where Keaton Hauser was before this part of his career. And this is a guy that is playing for Lake Travis, Texas. He's from a school where they've put out a lot of good quarterback talent And Jay Johnson, one thing you can say for sure is he knows how to evaluate talent. You can see it with who he has offered and where those quarterbacks have ended up going. He was the first offer for so many recruits at the quarterback position. And I guess Cade Klubnick is one that comes to mind who ended up going to Clemson last cycle. Um, Ty Simpson, um, Alabama's quarterback commit this year, uh, Eli Holstein, uh, so many guys year after year, DJ Lago in 2024 blew up after Jay. Uh, every single person that Jay Johnson has offered essentially, and then spent time talking to after that offer has developed into a big time quarterback recruit. And I don't think that right now that we can doubt Jay in terms of his talent evaluation, uh, maybe in future years, we'll see what happens. But right now, they are fully in on Bo, and I don't think that, that necessarily says that they're just resting on their laurels because they have Kate and Hauser. Um I think that's just Jay, Jay believes in Bo. Corey, anything to add?
1: Yeah, he, he, if he didn't believe in Bo, he wouldn't have taken Bo yeah. that early. I mean, he, he was a pretty early commit. Uh, and like you mentioned, uh, Jay Johnson knows what he's looking for and what separates him from most of the guys that I've Ever covered is that he finds them before most people too. So it's like, so just because maybe Bo doesn't have the huge ranking, uh, Jay knows what he's looking at. Uh, you turn on the film, he's got the arm, all the, he can make every throw you want to. And then I, I think honestly, his biggest attribute is his, that he's just like a gamer, whether it's, you know, those certain quarterbacks that once the game is on, they're on the field and the game's going, the whistle blows, like they're just, they elevate to a different level. Like if you watch Bo Edmondson, how many times that dude will stand in the pocket and take a shot right in the, under the, into the chin, you know, to make that perfect throw and he makes it throw uh, yeah. So, so he's, he's going to be one of those guys that uh could surprise some people and uh put a whole lot of trust with Jay. And as far as like the quarterbacks, I'm, I've always been anti two quarterbacks in the same class. I just don't think that that ever works out well. So use the scholarship for somebody else.
0: Yeah. I, I think, yeah, I don't, I don't want to go too deep into this question, but I could do a whole podcast on Jay's quarterback evals and just like, just look at the 2022 class and look at the guys that he offered and where they were at the time that he offered them. And also on the flip side of things, Jay passed on a lot of guys that were ranked higher than Caden Hauser when Caden was a three-star. I'm talking like Brayden Davis, who was a top 150, and everyone's like, why isn't Michigan State going after him? Clemson's talking to him and all these things. And Braden Davis ended up falling 200 spots by the end of the cycle and ended up being rated as 388th in the nation by 24-7 sports. And there were three other quarterbacks like that that had the exact same stock. Uh, dip at the end. And Katen was the one that came up out of there. And that's just how Jay's quarterback evaluations have gone for those that have watched it closely. And I guess we'll see what happens with Bo, but yeah, a lot of, a lot of trust in Jay in terms of his quarterback evals right now. Uh, Chris, uh, appreciate the, the compliment there. Uh, yeah, it's uh, fun to cover recruiting. It's especially fun this month and, We'll definitely uh, keep putting content out there. and We appreciate you giving us that nod. Um, I guess the next question here, Mitchell is asking, what would your dream D-line class look like for 2023? Um, I would just say the, the three uncommitted five stars um, and joining Andrew to pay. Uh, maybe you can add a couple more, maybe Inaweta. Um But yeah, Corey, any, any more creative answer than me there?
1: So, if we're, if we're going with, a uh, dream class, uh, it's gotta be D- DJ Hicks, Vic Burley, Jaden Wayne, Andrew DePape, uh, know, Edda for me. But, I mean, there's, there's a lot of really good defensive linemen beyond those guys, obviously, that we talked about. Uh, but, but if we're talking dream class, then we might as well dream big and have, a uh, the, what would possibly be the greatest defensive line class in, uh, College football history, as far as recruiting rankings goes, I mean that that would have to be that had to be t- towards the top. I would think if you got three five stars and two high fours.
0: Uh, Curtis is asking, "What is your guys' wish list for O line recruits uh, and D line recruits?" Which we did. So O line recruits, definitely for sure, uh, Basantis and Okolola are there in my dream class. Um, slack who's currently committed so you're up to three i guess you could say that sanker uh even though he's an interior offensive alignment i'm personally of the belief of just take as many tackles as possible and two of them can probably end up playing guard but yeah i would put sanker in there just because he's a very 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 good guard and then i would honestly put elijah page as as the third offensive tackle in the class for me personally
1: Corey, um yeah go with the two easy ones of by Santis and Okalola. And then, uh, um, yeah, I, I go I like Sankar a lot, so I'd probably put him in there just cause he's a smart kid wrestler, really strong, uh, kind of has that future captain written on yeah. him. Yeah. Like kind of, kind of reminds you a little bit of a bigger Allen brother. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, I don't know. For me, I, I've always liked Peyton Kirkland and Miles McVeigh. I've, I've always wanted the, the really big offensive linemen where you can just road grade them where I think honestly they both could potentially move inside. So they give you that versatility too. But, but yeah, it's, it's hard to, hard to pick up them just cause there is so many good options cause I don't think Elijah Page, that would be a great get. Uh, and then Umaroff is a, guy that i like a lot uh i think he's gonna be a lot better and then even uh crocker and uh lauk too i mean it's it's just like there's so many good options but if it was a dream class i'd probably just uh go with the the top three or four guys there plus uh slack who's in the class
0: yeah yeah that, that about covers it um Chris is asking, I know Francis Mabigoa is dropping his top six soon. Any updates on his OP preferences? I know Bama got one, but I haven't heard any more. That's a recruitment that I was kind of surprised that he even visited. Um, so, yeah, he, that's that's a recruitment where we're just going to have to wait and see what he does. It, we'll see if Tennessee tries to get involved there. I know he's close with the uh, Nico Imalavea family, uh, who's the quarterback that – got a enticing um, reason to go to Tennessee, I guess we'll say. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's a recruitment that is, you know, like I said, surprising to me that he even visited to begin with and we'll see if he visits again. We'll just have to wait and see what he decides publicly for him. Um, Brad is asking is Jack Nichols, younger brother good enough to take instead of the QB from Belleville.
1: Um, sure. <laughs> he wouldn't have yeah. offered that early. Uh, yeah. he, he's really good. I mean, it, it's hard to, like pick hairs when because all of the 25s which aren't very many all the quarterbacks that have been offered in 25 are all elite level talent yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't yeah i wouldn't say
0: instead like i wouldn't do anything comparative with them just yet but yeah i think if jay offers a 2025 quarterback right about now then, yeah, they're, they're good enough to take. But Michigan State wouldn't be taking a quarterback now. Like They wouldn't be accepting a 2025 commitment before seeing how these kids do for the next three years. So, yes, at this current point of their careers, they are good enough compared to the rest of the kids in their class to warrant an offer from Michigan State. But they are going to see how these kids play their freshman and sophomore, junior, senior years I guess their software through senior years before they have to even make that decision. But I'm a huge fan of Bryce Underwood,
1: um, but we'll see, we'll see how each of them develop. Yeah. You get any of the four or five guys that they've offered in 25 uh, then you've got a great problem to figure out because yeah. all, all of them are elite level guys early on and you just kind of see, see how everything pans out as they mature, get better and uh, just keep growing.
0: Yeah. Um, So I guess really the last question here. um, So I guess I'll tell you guys to go ahead and drop any final questions you have. We'll end this at 930 exactly. Um, But yeah, so Brad's uh, question here is if we get four to four or five top offensive line targets, how many would play as freshmen right away? Uh, So I guess the first thing I would look at is how many openings they would have. Uh, You would definitely need to replace J.D. DuPlain. I think right tackle, if Spencer Brown has a season we kind of expect, that spot would be shored up. Uh, Samac and Brian Green, I think, uh, Corey, is, does Samac have one more year left after this, or is this his last year regardless?
1: Uh, Samac and DuPlain can have one more year, both of them. Okay. Can. They're the okay. same class coming in, and with the COVID year, yeah. they're, they're technically seniors this year, but they got it an extra year so they both can come back if needed uh then Horst is done after this year I believe right
0: yeah
1: uh, so yeah I'd say and that and it depends on who the the four or five are I, yeah. I, I'll, I'll simplify it I think uh Samson Okaluna and uh um Chase Bessantis are the two that could play yeah
0: yeah. And I think when you kind of look at who's also there currently on the roster that isn't starting, but could start instead of one of these freshmen, really, I think Gino Vandemark uh, really is the only one that comes to mind. Uh, so I think right guard, you have Gino Vandemark. right tackle, you have Spencer Brown, then left guard and center, it's who comes back out of Samac and Duplaine. My guess is only one of them will come back and that would be Samak. And I think Duplaine could go to the NFL. So I think you could have your center right guard and right tackle back after this year. So that would really have your left guard and left yeah. tackle positions open. And yeah, I agree that Okulola or and then, could definitely. And,
1: and then the, the freshmen coming in this year, Braden Miller and uh, that's true. Gavin Brocious, uh Chris Phillips, like Lepo. So they, yeah. they factor into where. Yeah. And I, Ethan I, Boyd I, will
0: be one year closer to his yeah, real potential. Brandon
1: Baldwin. I've heard good yeah. things of coming out. So it's, but but if we're just saying strictly basing it off of being ready uh, yeah. to send Okaluma would be the answer.
0: Yeah, I think that's yeah, too. Um, so right here, uh, Mitchell is asking uh, any last interesting tidbits to drop on us. Uh, Not really. There's not even that much that we're holding back right now because for a while there, like two or three weeks, we kind of knew who was taking OVs, but we couldn't say anything until the kids confirmed it and gave us the green light to report it. Um, We had about 42, 43, 44 names. We got about 39 of them confirmed pretty quickly. And then we kind of needed some help from Wilt Fung and some of the other guys in getting the other green lights. Um, And now there's really just one more official visitor name we're waiting on for the kid to make public. And then after that, we're kind of just waiting to see what else we find out as the visits commence, starting tomorrow afternoon. Uh, I guess Corey is. Do you have anything you want to address that question with? Maybe I'm missing a tidbit or something.
1: No, I think you got it covered. And then yeah. we're probably, there's probably I think there's two or three that we know of that are we're still waiting to go public, but. For the most part, we, yeah. we, we nailed them pretty quickly this year.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, Tuck's is asking, are we at the 85 scholarship limit for this year or are we over the last time I calculated, I think I got 86. Um, so I think they would need to, to have two guys depart, um, if they even wanted to add someone from the portal, but they're actively looking and they are very interested in adding someone from the portal, so that tells me that they don't anticipate any difficulty of getting that number down to 84 and possibly adding someone if they can find somebody, which is not very easy right now. But yeah, I think they might be over. I think it might be at 86, but I have not detected even the slightest hint of concern of them being able to get where they need to be there. That stuff usually always works itself out uh, quite a, quite a few months left until the roster needs to be set. Um James Wyndham is asking non-recruiting question. Should we be worried about D Snow leaving lack of utilization? Um, and that's a good question since he's going to be playing linebacker now. And that is a very loaded position, but kind of the way I look at a player leaving is if they're leaving and they were not a starter, then you got to think about the fact that they were not a starter at the end of the day. Like, if the season starts and Snow is not playing a lot of snaps and Aaron Brule and Cal Halliday and uh, my personal favorite, Jacoby Windman, and all these guys are playing a ton of snaps and Snow possibly is not, then how big of a loss would such a player be? But at the end of the day, I think Snow is going to get his due. I think he's going to get his snaps because I was impressed that he kind of was always in the right spot at the right time, and he rarely ever missed a tackle. So I wouldn't be too worried about him not getting his fair share of snaps. But just in general, if a player leaves that isn't a starter, I have a hard time kind of getting concerned about that departure in a general sense. Corey, anything you want to add there?
1: Yeah, I think he'll play. He, he's just a will yeah. so not see the field. And then uh, I guess the other way to look at it is uh, if uh, Brule and women are gone next year, then – he, that's also he true. Started, he, he would be walking away from a, a a much clearer opportunity to play. So that's I, a good point. I, I, I wouldn't expect him to leave, but I mean, yeah, anything's possible, I guess. But I, I would expect him to play, and I would expect him to stay.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh, John is asking any news of another possible O line add from the portal. Um, Corey, I, I guess I'll just give it to you first. I don't have anything to yeah, add here, really.
1: That they want to, but they gotta, they gotta find a guy that fits, that uh, is better than what they have, and that can qualify. So we're we're all kind of just waiting to see. But yes, they're actively looking, but it's a matter of finding that guy.
0: Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah um and mike you know i'm not touching that question first person to commit uh, it's a fair question but it's uh it's not it's not my kind of question i i don't want any attention to be drawn at any individual player and people suddenly assuming why hasn't this guy committed and kind of t- asking him on twitter and yeah those things kind of get carried away and misconstrued um but yeah that that kind of wraps it up for this episode. We appreciate you guys joining in. I think we got up to the 150s. We're at 148 right now. And uh, like I said last time, definitely didn't expect this many people to join in this early in the process. So, yeah, we're going to be doing a lot of Spotify live rooms throughout uh, the regular season as well. And so we're, we're going to be doing the um, game previews, the game recaps. And anytime there's a commit, we'll kind of hop in here and – do our little takeaways of who, 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 what kind of a recruit he is, what he brings to the table and whatnot. So definitely drop a follow if you haven't, this is going to be where we're going to be doing all of our future um, discussions, not, not doing Twitter spaces really anymore, because it doesn't allow us to upload it in podcast form quick enough. So definitely uh, hope to see you guys next time and appreciate all the early support for the Spotify live rooms. Any final thoughts, Corey?
1: yeah thanks for joining us i really appreciate you guys and kind of hanging through there with my voice and uh uh the the, the mute button helped out uh cough my way through it but uh thank you guys for all the support you guys give us uh, it does mean a lot and we appreciate you guys and wouldn't be where we are without you guys
0: Yeah, definitely. And if you haven't already subscribed to the Shawlane VIP board, that's where 99% of our our insight is shared, Uh, never really on Twitter. And the articles are just a small bit of what we do. It's all about the membership uh, interactions and questions we answer there. So that's all I would leave you with. And I guess we will see you guys the next time there's something notable to cover in June um, or the next time there is a visit to dive into. So visit weekend to dive into. So thanks again, guys, for joining. And we'll see you in about a week or so.